Tampa Bay's Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. something that moves? Oh, I sure have. That Pontiac GTO over there. The car of the year. Give me the keys. Oh, you'd like to go for a ride? Just give me the keys. Yes, sir. A ride. That's the only way to tell how the GTO handles. It's really a driver's car. It's got wide track suspension. Did you notice the revolutionary new bumper on the GTO? We call it the Great One. Get rid of him, Clyde. You gonna take it? Right. How do you want to finance it? Finance it, Clyde. Hey! Wait! This is too much! You got tank coming! Pontiac cost a lot less money than most people think. The great wide track drive is on. See your Pontiac dealer. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Hi, this is Dave Mason, co-founder of the classic band Traffic and writer of a song which you all know called Feeling All Right. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Welcome, you're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run to your computers and Google Tan Talk 1340com and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you want to check out Nostalgic Radio and Cars, you can hear all our 12 and a half years worth of radio shows. Nicely, neatly packaged and archived. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing well for you to listen over and over and over and over again. Yeah, we've got a great show for you tonight. Um, I'm going to be doing a little dialogue talking tonight. I haven't done that yeah. in a while. Stories I'm, to tell. Yeah, i got some cool, cool so stories. Right, these are a, uh, this is this is radio of the old days, campfire. Uh, campfire, chat. yeah, sing around the campfire. Campfire chat. The campfire. Fireside chat. Yeah. Fireside chat, yeah. Except Something nostalgic. Like nostalgic. Car version. <laughs> we do have a guest coming on a little bit later in the afternoon. In the afternoon. Yeah, later, a little, 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 little oh, later in the show. Four hours ago, it was later in the afternoon. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We're going to be talking about some uh, the upcoming some one of the upcoming events in um, South Florida. Now, what's going on this? Well, this past weekend we obviously had the 24 hour race. We had the Cavalino in uh, South Florida, and this weekend we've got uh, the cars on the fifth. It's not called that anymore. It's called the Naples Automotive Experience, 
and the Naples uh, car auction. And we have, let's see, the Dumpster, Sumter County uh, <laughs> Fairground has our three-day extravaganza. Uh, if you're into van life, I think somewhere in Dade City there is a van life gathering. So we are probably got to look into that because we were thinking about doing something with that van, you know, the little thing we got, the little Transit Connect. And uh, so that's kind of like, uh, hmm. you know, people... And there's vendors there, and they're fixing those things up. Let's see, there's a bunch of stuff going on. But for all our Pasco listeners out there, for our Pasco, and, well, our, our <laughs> yeah, northern, northern end of our listening audience, yeah, yeah, you should, uh, definitely travel out there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so let's see what else is going on. And of course, last week was also uh, was that the third Friday of the month? Yeah, it was. So they had the Inverness Car Show downtown, and then they had the Villages uh, Car Show, and. Oh, we didn't go to that either. Um, let's see what else. Oh, and of course, our good friends over in Orlando are having the uh, International Guitar and Music Expo, correct? And with a little luck, I don't know, you know, maybe Marty might call in. And uh, he's always uh, been a great guest and he's been on our show. That's this weekend, too. You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I get so preoccupied with stuff. I've been actually been working on uh, a fair amount of appraisals. And diminished values lately, so I've kind of lost track of time. Plus, I'm working on my own um, little projects, and I do some remodeling and stuff on the side. But let me—I've um, I, been appraising some interesting cars, and I want to talk about this a little bit because I get these cars, and I—I'm I, in my mid 60s, so and I still have some of the cars I had back in high school. Uh, one in particular is my '69 Shelby, which I took apart in '77 because my friend says. I think we should take this car apart and restore it. Uh, well, that car got taken apart in 1977. It was a perfectly fine driver. It was a good survivor, a great driver, and I took it apart in 1977, and it's never been back together since. That's a bad thing. Right, Bobby? Yeah, that's... So, yeah, because now it's going to cost me more to uh, try. I've lost more in deposits of body shops and parts than what I paid for the car back in... 1975, somewhere around there, 75, 76, whenever I bought it. I was going to JC at the time. And uh, which is, for those of you that have been around here for a long time, that was St. Petersburg Junior College, which is now St. Petersburg College. It's morphed into a college. So it's an accredited for. Well, they're all state colleges now. Is that what it is? Okay. Yes. Because they have four year degrees. I gotcha. Okay. Well, back then you got two years and you got an associate's AA and. and then some of us were on the four-year plan for the associate's degree, and then some of us never completed the four-year associate's because we turned it into five, then sometimes six, and then when we co-opt, went out and worked, uh, and then came back, and then decided, ah, I don't know, you know. Anyway, and then, um, long story short, there's no story. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I was wondering where that went. <laughs> yeah. Watch so, me pull a story out of my hat. Yeah, watch me pull a story out of my Wrong hat. hat. <laughs> Wrong hat. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so, uh, and I used to drive my Shelby to, to JC when I went there back then. And um, so one of these days, well, that's that's on my list of, of most important cars put together. But where I'm going with this is that recently I had to do a number of appraisals. And it really, it bothers me because... Uh, the guys are deceased, and I'm dealing with widows, and they don't know exactly, because I do the same thing. We never tell the other half what we have invested or what we have spent or what some of the stuff is, and we stash it, hide it, because it's our little thing, you know what I mean? And um, 
So when I wander, like yesterday, I went over and I looked at, um, I got a call. There was a Studebaker and a Dodge Polaro. So I can only imagine, and they, the gentleman owned the cars for 12 years, and they have not been put together. So when I got there, um, there was stuff everywhere. The Studebaker, which was under a car cover, which happens to be, I affectionately refer to it as the Muppet Baker, because it's like a 50-51 Studebaker, you know, the bullet nose, like the they used in the movie, in the Muppet movie. But anyway, but it's kind of a cool car. So the body actually was in pretty decent shape. The other car that was there was, it was a two-door. The other car that was there was a Dodge Polaro 64. When I first walked up, and a 63, 64 kind of looked the same to me. But anyway, it was a four. And it was a four-door hardtop. And I thought, well, okay. But it was a deluxe model because it had all the trim on it. It had really nice interior on the inside. It wore what was once a nice interior. And it had all the trim on the outside. One half of the car was original, kind of a two-tone color. And the other side was painted plum crazy. And so when we raised the hood, there was a big block under it. And I figured there would probably be, you know, maybe a 383 or something under it. Or if we really got lucky, maybe a max wedge under there, you know, a 426. Turned out there was a 440 in there. You can see right away as soon as you open it up with the intake manifold sits, there's a boss right there. And all your 426s and 440s have those, including your hammies, by the way. And uh, so I knew it was at least a 426 or 440 or, or something. And um, I couldn't read the date codes. They're on the side of the block, and it was kind of crusty a little bit. But the interior of the car was a four-door, which that's kind of a cool sleeper, you know. I mean, four-door car. It had some vintage torque thrust on one side and a mag on one corner and then it had a kind of a Mopar Magnum on the other side and then some Steelys on the back and uh, automatic on the now it was a push button there was a push button on the dash back in those days early 60s Mopars so he converted it to a floor shifter which is kind of cool looks kind of neat bench seat so basically it's a four-door car you know now four-door cars wagons are extremely popular four-door sedans not so much that's the least desirable but for an entry-level vintage car it's actually not a bad deal because you know a family of four or five can pile in one of those things and go to the car shows and if you really can you can trick a car out with some nice tires and wheels and make it look kind of cool so while i was rummaging around in the stuff i went into the building but as I was walking into the building on the right side, there was a straight axle laying there with some brakes and drums and stuff like that. And I thought, hmm, okay, well, maybe there's somewhere around here there's a street rod or going to be a street rod. I walked inside. Stuff was everywhere. I mean, everywhere. I tell you, really, I almost felt as if I needed a snake bike kit to walk around in there. And uh, But the first thing that caught my eye over in the corner was a, uh, uh, a big block Mopar sitting on the... Um, on, a, on an engine stand. Uh, but as I walked into the building, there was a painting on the side of the building that was yellow. It was like an arrow, and it said Mopar. So I knew the guy was a Mopar guy. And uh, I saw uh, a three-speed transmission sitting in a bucket, or not in a bucket, in a uh, wheelbarrow, and some other miscellaneous loose parts. And then um, there was a bell housing in there. There was a set of big block, you know, could have been 906 castings, which is what, you know, 68, 69, 70, I think, or 70, 69, 70, 71. Mopar, are better heads for 440s. I think there were 906 castings, if I remember correctly. 
Um, I think it was an automatic sitting there. It might have been a 727. I'm not sure because um, it was kind of like buried underneath. And there was a whole bunch of loose parts. There was Studebaker parts. There was Mopar parts. There was an aluminum intake manifold for a 440 sitting right there. But the one thing that I didn't see right away, but the guy saw it, it was sitting right in the window, and I couldn't believe I missed it, was a dual quad tunnel ram with the uh, snorkel, with the, with the air box sitting on top of it. And I thought, wow, how cool is that? So I walked over, looked at it, checked the carbs on it, and they're 4777s, which are basically 750 Hollies, double, dual-feed double pumpers. There was actually three of those laying around there. So I'm assuming that was – well, all right, let me go. And then outside there was um, a set of slicks mounted on some steel wheels. So the lady um, and her friends, they were in there. And we were kind of like looking through the cars and stuff, and, or the parts. And then there was another building that I walked into. It was kind of like an out, out, outdoor shed. And I opened it up, and there was just more boxes of stuff. But the thing that caught my eye was this box that looked like it had some mufflers in it. I didn't have my glasses on. The guy behind me, his name was Joe, by the way. And uh, so he he was uh, the boyfriend of, of one of the neighbors, and so I call him Boyfriend Joe. So boyfriend Joe was there, and he goes, ah, purple hornies. And I go, what? And then I put my glasses on real quick, and sure enough, they were. Now, they were modern versions of it because you know, they had a, what's that thing? They have a barcode on the box. Okay, so they're fairly recent. Now, I ran purple horny header mufflers, which is what they were back in the day, which basically if you had headers on your car, you had a collector, and then you can bolt what we called header mufflers, which was just a big, giant glass pack, basically, on the end of your header, your uh, header flange. And now the thing about Purple Hornies was is you could actually take them apart, pull the guts out of it, and then put it back together. And they jumped out right about underneath your front seat, depending on how long. They were like three feet long, two and a half feet long, something like that. And uh, so I ran those back in the day. So I, I immediately got a kick out of that. And I said, well, now there's something I might be interested in. And uh, because back in the 70s, you know, if you guys recall, if those of you that are old enough, you know, it wasn't uncommon for you to roll up near a Mopar or a Ford or a Chevy or something, and it pulled up beside you and it's going blah, 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 blah. And it was just loud and nasty, just really cool with a lopy cam and everything like that. That's just the way it was back then. Today we have to put up with these annoying tuner cars with four cylinders that basically sound like sewing machines that are just going to wind up and go bing. You know, and fart cans on the end of it. But, I mean, these, you know, back in our day, we had real V8s, real exhaust, and they were loud. And, yes, they were obnoxious, too. And uh, you couldn't hear your stereo. So when I had my uh, purple hornies on there. So that was cool. It was to try to have the loudest car. And I did get nailed by Mr. Johnny Law, and, you know, he pulled that decibel gun out on me and wrote me a violation. Said I was Actually, he gave me a warning. And then I had to go home and put the stuffing back in my purple hornies. But... Um, that was just kind of cool. Now, what I kind of deduced from this whole thing is that basically his four-door sedan was going to be basically like a sleeper. So there's a way to market this stuff, and this is where I'm going with this, is you kind of package things. So you got the two wheels. They're not really um, like you could put the uh, the torque thrust on the front and because uh, you had two of them, but there were six-inch wide ones or five-and-a-half, six-inch wide. You could put those on the front of the Mopar or... What I was trying to figure out is when I saw the the Studebaker and then the straight axle, I got to thinking, you know what? This guy was probably going to build a gasser. So that's what the straight axle was for. And then the three-speed Mopar, which that's typical back in the day. You know, you would have ran a three-speed because um, you didn't have, uh, in the, particularly in the 50s and 60s, you know, a lot of guys didn't have four-speeds. They were expensive back then. They still are. 
And uh, so then I would have put the steel wheels with the slicks on the back, maybe, on the on the Polara. Or you could have put them on the other car. But I would have, what you do is you package it. And then what you do is you get everything all nice and neatly grouped. And this is what I suggested to the lady. And if she needs some help, you know, let me know. And, uh, and as we get into this, you know, I might let some of you guys know. And Because th- obviously this stuff is for sale because she, she's not going to do anything with it. She needs to sell it. And uh, But there's a lot of cool stuff there. So, like I said, the first one I got there, I thought, uh, you know, when I got the call, I thought, we got a you know a couple thousand dollars worth of junk. But really, there's a lot more there. The Studebaker's in pretty good shape. I mean, the floors have some holes in them, but the body is pretty decent. Even the, four, the, the four-door sedan, Polaris, is pretty decent. You know, you got two 440 motors. you got a manual transmission and a bell housing and some goodies there. And then you got a 727 sitting there, so or something. I doubt it's a 904 because that's a small one. And, uh, and and then just a whole litany of, of parts. Not to mention there were some vintage signs, not too much in the way of that, but there was uh, vintage tuning equipment and machining equipment because this gentleman was a machinist. So there was like a little little milling machine there and some other stuff and a welder and uh, pressure cleaners and uh, just all kinds of little – and tools, just boxes and boxes of tools. So just really, really, really cool stuff, you know, really, really neat. And um, – so, but I'll keep you guys kind of in the loop on that as this thing progresses, you know. But, you know, and then I did a 34 Ford fiberglass uh, street rod for a lady. Now, granted, you know, we just came off Barrett Jackson this past week, which ended, and then, of course, then Scottsdale Collector Car Week, and a couple of weeks ago we had Meekum. So the market now is stronger than I've ever seen it in all the years that I've been in the business. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty strong. And I think on that note, Bobby's going to fire up the stereo. We're going to pay a commercial, and then I'm going to come back and talk a little bit more about uh, about the 34 Ford and about the uh, 72, 71 Chevelle and about some of the other cars that I've looked at here in the last couple of weeks on 70 Mach 1. So, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Since Dave Mason is going to be in concert at the Capitol Theater about five blocks from here this weekend on Saturday... We're going to play a little Dave Mason. I think he's got... He did. He he played with Jimi Hendrix. He was originally with Traffic. He actually did the original... He was a guitarist, backing guitar on the original All on the Watchtower with uh, Jimi Hendrix. But this is his version, and I think this is one of the best versions of All on the Watchtower, written actually by... It's uh, Bob Dylan, right, Bobby? Mm-hmm. Okay, hey, you yes. tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cards. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back.
Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. white hot of competition. All new Screamer added to the line for 1969. Torino Fire and Flare at a fair lane price. Big scorching Cobra 428 standard with the Cobra Jet Ram Air 428 optional. Special Cobra decals on the front fenders and lower back panel special blackout grill, and everything else you'd expect to find on a going thing like this in the way of hardware. Competition-type hood lock pins, special performance tires and suspension, with four-on-the-floor standard, cruisomatic optional, and all of this available with a choice of two roof lines. Sports Roof Cobra, hottest thing on the road, with a price to match. Torino GT Sports Roof. Cobra Sting with a more sophisticated flavor. Lean, sleek, wraparound of welded steel. Now available with all the action appeal of the Cobra. All the styling, sophistication, and luxury appeal of Torino. back and tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Now, you know, uh, about a few years ago, I actually appraised a 69 Cobra. And, of course, generally when you hear Cobra, you think of the little uh, Shelby AC Cobra, the little aluminum body car that started out as a little AC Bristol from England. Well, at any rate, and I stood corrected, because when I did this appraisal, I actually found it. So, Alan, who's listening, and any other four guys, including my buddy down in South Florida, Nelson there, um, they're Torino guys, and so we say Torino Cobra, but it's really not. It, the, the Torino came with a Cobra Jet engine, or a Fairlane came with a Cobra Jet engine, but then there was a specific model that was the Cobra. It wasn't Torino Cobra, it wasn't Fairlane Cobra, 
It was a Torino or Fairlane Cobra jet powered car, but there's actually a Cobra. So I probably knew that back in the day, but I probably forgot. But anyway, I was enlightened in it. So I thought it would be kind of cool to play that commercial, not to mention the GTO one we played earlier in the show. And um, so, like I said, you know, you kind of learn things, you kind of forget things, and then you relearn it again. The other cars that I uh, want to, another car that I'm appraising is another one owner 1970 Ford Mustang Mach 1. And this gentleman bought the car brand new, ordered it, didn't quite get what he wanted, so the dealer located this car out of Jacksonville and then bought it new at Grant Ford in 1970. The production date on it was October of 69. And it's medium metallic blue, blue interior. Um, Mach 1, legit car, 351 Cleveland, 4 barrel, so it's an M code with air conditioning, but an automatic. And uh, just a really, really nice car. And it's, you know, the market, like I said, is just really, really, really strong right now. I mean, a f- my friend was out in Scottsdale on a 1971 429 Super Cobra Jet Mustang, and that really pretty, uh, it's kind of like. I think it's light grabber green, but they made a grabber green metallic, which is a Z code, and then there was a light, kind of like a little bit lighter green, kind of a chartreuse. Two hundred thirty thousand is what it hammered at. So figure the juice on top of that, you're two fifty. That's mind blowing. You know, Boss Rio twos and Meekum were bringing close to two hundred. Boss four twenty nines were back up around you know over four hundred. Mopar is the same thing, you know, Camar- rare Camaros. But then again, they're paying, you know, for a GTO convertible, one sold for a million, certain Mopar sold for a million. So where's, where, you know, you were trying to figure this out here a little bit. It's just like mind-blowing numbers. So if you're going to sell something, you know, now the parts aren't bringing crazy, crazy, crazy stupid money, but the cars definitely are. And uh, so now's the time to sell if you're going to sell. And... If you don't sell now and the market does decide to taper off towards the latter part of the year, you know, we're getting older, you know, us guys that are into those, you know. Now, there's the, the 10 years, 10, 15 years behind us. There's a lot of those guys are into those cars yet, too, because they were influenced by, you know, us, just like we were influenced by the older generation that are not collecting those cars as much anymore. So it's hard to say. You can't. I don't have. I'm not clairvoyant. I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't really see the future. You know. But I'm just saying right now, it's just a really, really crazy market. So if you were thinking about thinning the herd, this might be a good time to do that. And then the rest of the stuff, as in my case, um, and many other guys, probably going to die with it, um, unless Bobby comes along and does something intelligent with it. I don't know. He likes cars, so we're good. I'm good there. Just I just have too many parts, don't I, Bobby? Uh, but, you know, back in the day, we just bought, you know, bought a spare, and then we couldn't find it. We bought another spare and couldn't find that, and then you bought another spare. The next thing you know, you got three, four, five, six spares. So I guess the duplicates, triplicates, quadruplets, and whatever, you know, sell a few of the extras and then narrow it down to the ones you need. If you have the car, you should always have at least one or two sets of everything. And uh, so where I'm going with this story is, so that was a really, really pretty Mach 1, nicely restored. Um, but, you know... He's got as much in the restoration as what the car's worth. By comparison, uh, I'm doing a very rare 107. This is actually a car I chased for 20-some-odd years. 7428 Super Cobra Jet Drag Pack Cougar Convertible. Now, that car, it's hard to say. You got a trans, and they made six trans M convertibles. So they're pulling close to a million. You got Hemi Kudas. That are pulling anywhere between a million and two million. 
very rare car, one, six, seven, eight. Or, you got this car, which is a Cougar, which is beautifully restored. So is it worth two, three, two, three hundred thousand? Is it worth a half a million? Is it worth seven hundred fifty thousand? Is it worth a million? What's it really worth? You don't know until you put it out there. You know. Now these other cars obviously have a strong following, but what really attracts people is rarity, uniqueness. This Cougar, this Super Cobra Jet four-speed convertible Cougar, is the Mac Daddy of Cougars. That is it. Just like the Boss 429 is a holy grail. Is a 69 worth more than 70? Is a 70 worth more than 69? No. They may bore 69s, but the first 279 have the NASCAR motor in it, or allegedly the, the special S motor. Those are the big ones. Those are bringing $500,000, dollars The rest of them are three and fours. 70s are you know, three, three and a half, you know. 69 still worth more. It's kind of like a 70 Mach 1 is a beautiful car. 70 Boss 302 is a beautiful car. 69 Boss Rio 2 is a nice car. 69 Mach 1 is a really good-looking car. So, you know, just like the Torinos. Do you like a 70, 71 Torino? Do you like a 72 Torino? Do you like a 70 GTO or 71 or 72 GTO? 68 GTO, 69 GTO. A 68 Roadrunner or GTX? 68, 69 Charger? You know, so those the 68 to 72 cars are by far the most popular. 70 all around was the best looking of all the cars. One year only. Actually, 69 was pretty good, too. So 69, all the cars across the board. And 70, all the cars across the board were pretty good looking cars. And the 70s pretty much, I think, hold it. Just like a Trans Am and a Z28, you know, 70s. So that's just like a short dissertation. Okay, so here today I was out scrounging around looking for some parts. And uh, so, like I said, a couple days ago, I ran in this one owner Mach 1. So today, I'm uh, over this guy's house, and I'm robbing some parts off a junk Ford Explorer that I need for uh, a little Ford Sport Track, power seat assembly or something like a conversion deal. Okay, well, I was, while I was in there helping the guy with the tools, there was a 70, 71, well, I walked up, it was either 71 or 72 Chevelle sitting there. So I go, that's kind of cool. I said, is that what it is, 71, 72? He says, 71. I said, that's kind of neat. I said, is it a real SS? He goes, yeah. I said, because it had the Z28 style, 70, 71, 72, 73, 74, the, the Z28 style wheels on it, which was an option on 71, 72, maybe 70. I don't remember. I think it was available in 70. Anyway, as I take a deep breath, um, that was a pretty nice-looking car. And I said, as we were wrenching off the rest of the junk parts, I walked back in there and took another look at it, and I said, this is a pretty car. I said, uh so what's the story on it? He bought it new. His wife bought it new, actually. His wife bought it new. And that's pretty cool. She's a keeper. I open the door, and it's a factory four-speed car, bucket seat console with attacking gauges. Now, women are not notoriously gearheads, but this one was kind of into cars. Now, I had a friend way back when, and her boyfriend had a, uh, I knew the kids, and the older sister had a boyfriend who had a 67 SS396 four-speed Chevelle, which was, a, you know, 66, 67 Chevelles back in the day were pretty popular. It's no different than a goat, Fairlane, and so on, and Mopars as well. And uh, so when she went to go get a car, he talked her into buying an SS Nova with a 350 and a factory three-speed. I don't know why they didn't get a four-speed. I guess this car just happened to be on the lot. And I'll never forget, it was a blue car. And her name was Nancy, and she was pretty cool. And she could hammer those gears, because he could hammer those gears. He taught his girlfriend that. And that was pretty cool. So anyway, um, this Chevelle is in a factory black car, bought new up in New York, four-speed, bucket-seat console, tack-and-gauge car with a 285 or under 300-horse 350 Chevrolet with a 12-bolt. 
And I thought, how cool is that? And where I'm going with this whole thing is, is that if, the car wasn't restored. It was reconditioned, which is what you really should do. Just take it. The interior was original in it. The undercarriage was original. Just kind of make the car look nice. Put a nice paint job on it. Fix what needs to be fixed. Drive it and have, a, have fun with it. Because when you get tens of thousands of dollars in the car, you're not going to get that out of it unless the car is extremely, extremely rare, as in the case with this Super Cobra Jet Cougar. Okay, because the rest of the cars, or if you bought a Boss 429, if you bought a Boss 429, like a friend of mine paid $175,000 for a really bad basket case. Well, he's going to have a hundred grand in that car, or more. So, and I'm just throwing an arbitrary number out because it just seems like hundred thousand is the magic number. So he's got 175 plus a hundred. He's going to be 275 all in, and he's still going to have a 300,000, 250,000 dollar car. So he's okay because there's value there. But you can't be buying you know, kind of a, a nice car that's a little bit more on the common side, you know, and then restore it and put a ton of money into it and then think you're going to get that money out of it unless you're just doing it because it's a labor of love and you love the car and you want it as nice as you can. But then what happens? You get a car that's too nice and you can't drive it. And then you go, well, I guess I might as well sell it. And that's kind of a bad thing. But so going back to the Studebaker, and the Dodge Polaro. You just fix those cars up, you scuff them, you shoot them, or you give them the old school hot rod look to them, you know, the poor boy thing. And the same thing with the Stude, you know. I mean, they, they, you could jack that thing up like uh, and, and stick it together as a gasser, no matter what you do with it, and it's going to look cool. I did a, a guy here in Largo had a Henry J that he bought out of a barn in Nebraska or someplace like that, someplace in the Midwest, or maybe it was Arkansas, I'm not sure. Wyoming, oh, not Wyoming. It was either Nebraska or or Oklahoma or one of those states. And uh, his goal was to just build a gasser out of it. And in fact, in fact, there's a few of them on uh, um, Facebook right now. And uh, and all he did is just scuff it, shoot it, put it in primer, put a nice set of wheels and tires on it, a nice set of seats on it. The rest of the car was just an edgy old race car. But it was cool. When you roll into a car show, when you roll into a gas station, you roll into it with something really weird – People run to that because the car immediately has a story. You roll in there with a beautifully restored Mach 1 or a beautifully restored Chevelle, and you're going to get attention as well. So it's 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 a matter of preference, but you don't have to spend a ton of money to have fun at this. You can just slap something on the car and make it look cool. And you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm kind of a survivor, barn find, edgy kind of car guy kind of thing. You know, I mean, granted, I have some original stuff, and um, but. You know, it it it's just it a, a true car enthusiast appreciates the car for what it is and the story associated with it, and uh, and that's pretty much my story. Bobby, do we have another uh, song queued up here? We do. We have some Bachman Turner Overdrive to we got uh, some take us to our guest. Bachman Turner Overdrive. Now, Randy Bachman of Bachman Turner Overdrive and the Guess Who is going to be at the Villages in a couple weeks. Jerry Beckley. And Dewey from America is going to be in Melbourne in a couple of weeks in February. And like I said, Dave Mason is going to be in uh, clear, right here in Clearwater in our own backyard. And then the Doobie Brothers, I think they're coming to Tampa in March. So we have some really cool, classic bands that are going to show up here. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. Maybe we can, you know, obviously we always try to reach out to those guys, see if we can get them in on the show some way, somehow, 
or form. You know, that's of course last week we were lucky we had Carrie come in from next door. And that was pretty cool. He had some great stories. Great stories, you know. And stories is really what radio is all about. You can't really see me unless you're tuned into the this little computer thingy here. And uh, but you can listen to me. So my job as a interviewer or a show host is to try to keep the show informative, somewhat uh, entertaining, and uh, you know. Um, and then play a song when you run out of things to say. And play a song when I run out of things to say. Uh, on that note, we're going to play a little BTO. Bachman Turner Overdrive. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Here's Blue Collar. This goes out to all us working guys that uh, work on car cars and wrench on the weekends. As you tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, don't touch that doll. I'll be right back. Walk your street. And I walk mine. And should we meet? Would you spare me some time? Cause you should see my world, meet my kind, before you judge all mine. See the guitar? You play? I've been known to. That's cool. What's your name? Tell your guitar. Since 1873. Original chords, pure and simple. This is Keith Martin, publisher of Sports Car Market and American Car Collector, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. All right, we're back. You're tuning in to Southern Getting Cards. It's time to introduce our guest for the evening. This gentleman is the director of the Naples Car Auction, if I said that correctly. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Dan Ridopecki. Did I pronounce that right, Dan? You did. You did well. Yeah, so, so Naples, um, we're the Naples Motor Car Auction, uh, part of the Naples Automotive Experience. 
used to be cars on fifth. So yeah. So uh, go ahead. I said, yeah, you, you, you did great. Right oh. Becky, you know, it was, it was fun the first day of school. So okay, <laughs> very impressed. Why don't you give us a little background on yourself? Let our listeners uh, familiarize themselves with you. So uh, the floor is yours. So, so a couple of years ago, um, I started working with Saratoga um, to put together an auction. The Saratoga Automobile Museum um, does an annual car auction. It's their largest fundraiser to, to sort of help fund the museum, the education program. Uh, so we're in our sixth year of that. So I got involved a couple of years ago and. We've expanded it. We were invited down to Naples uh, to do an auction with the Cars on Fifth experience. So essentially what that is, is Thursday night there's a jet port party. We're the auction component on Friday. This is all this week. Um, Saturday is Cars on Fifth, so over 700 cars um, on Fifth. You know, all all makes primarily Ferraris, but it's expanded into Lamborghinis and Mustangs and McLarens and, you know, Pontiacs and Cobras, and I mean, you name it, it's there. So it's quite the event. Um, and at the end of the day, it's all to raise money for a local charity called St. Matthew's House. So uh, we're, we're happy to help, and uh, we're happy to be able to raise some money uh, for folks in need. Okay, so tell us about the, uh, the, the St. Matthew's um, charity organization. What is that all about? So St. Matthew's was started many years ago um, by four um, Christian ladies because they saw somebody eating out of a dumpster, and they felt that, you know, how could this be at this time in life and in Naples? So, essentially, St. Matthew's House was put together to help the homeless, um, and then it's expanded into helping folks with addiction problems. Um, you know, it, it takes care of battered um, women, and, you know, they have an amazing program to help folks in need, um, and it, it's very successful. And so we're happy to help and be able to raise some money so that they can continue with their mission. Excellent, um, excellent. And then the rest of the proceeds go to uh, the Saratoga Automobile Museum. So, Give us a little background on yourself now. Um, you and I talked a little bit earlier, but uh, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved and in, your your automotive background, so to speak. So I got, I've, from the age of five, my father was a Mercedes-trained um, tech. Uh, in Europe, and came to the States in the 80s during the uh, gas crisis as a diesel mechanic for Mercedes. So I've always been kind of in the car world, went up, went off to college and came back and kind of got involved in the business, and we kind of expanded it to take care of, you know, vintage cars. So we had a local collector that had a huge collection, so we were, were able to take care of his Aston Martins, his Jaguars, his Heelys, and we kind of expanded into that business you know, built a full-service shop where everything was done in-house, from the mechanical work to collision to restoration. Um, and then that kind of segued um, into the car business. So for years, you know, we would trade. I'd be on the road, um, primarily buying Audis, um, but also, you know, in those days, you know, we, we bought and sold quite a few 911s and F-355s. Um, you know, we've We've continued with Aston. You know, the DB9 is one of our favorite modern cars, as is the Vantage. You know, a lot of car for the money. Um, and, you know, when serviced properly and gone through it, it's not the nightmare that, you know, some people think it could be from an ex- expense standpoint. Now, it's funny. Um, and then a couple of years. Yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no. Well, I was just going to touch on the Aston Martin Vantage. And the only reason I, I said that is because that car was kind of developed during the time when Ford owned Aston Martin. How much of the American car? 
I don't want to say Mustang necessarily, but how much of an American car platform is the Aston Martin Vantage as well as the DB9 are they based on? Um, they're not. I mean, it's interesting. So I think the DB9 was an Ian Callum design. Okay. Uh, the 12-cylinder variant. I don't remember who made it. I mean, it, I think it's it was Aston's deal. There wasn't a whole lot of, like, crossover with Ford uh-huh. and Ford parts. Um, so I don't know that they had much of an influence. I think everything had kind of been R&D'd and developed by the time Ford got involved. Um, so, you know, a lot of... I don't know that there was that much Ford technology, like I said, in... You know, into in those cars. All right, how about you know, Jaguar? Like, because Jaguar is very similar. The XK series that they had back then. It is. I mean, I'll tell you something funny. So if you look at it, like an ignition coil on a DB9, yeah, it looks like a Ford part number, right? Yeah. But if you try to put it as a Ford part number, it doesn't come up. Like you have to get the stuff from Aston. It's kind of weird. Like we always thought there'd be some crossover, but you know, not the case. So it's interesting, right? That you know, it, a lot of that stuff was kind of standalone. Um, I think in Jaguar, I think with the S-Type and X-Type, you saw a lot of crossover. Yeah. Um, not so much in the XJ series. Okay. Now, I will tell you that the Vantage, I think, is the Aston Martin bad boy hot rod. That the, That's probably the closest competitor to a 911, me being a 911 guy, kind of. But I always thought, you know, an Aston yeah. Martin would be just a really good V8, six-speed, just a cool-looking yep. car. Nice wheelbase, very good stance, and an excellent-looking profile. You know, you're spot on with that. When they developed that Vantage, and you know, I think it was 07 was the first year that it came out, um, that car with a V8 manual gearbox, it was optioned out a little bit nicer than a 911. So I would think like maybe three cows or four cows died from like, <laughs> the upholster interior of that car uh, between all the leather and the Alcantara. But I think that was the core market they were going after, right? They were going after the 911 driver, um, and it was designed for that. So it's interesting that you... Uh, that you put that together. I mean, the car handles really well. It's fast. It's nimble. It's comfortable. Uh, I, I think it's very well designed. Yeah, and it's, it's a good-looking car. They still make that body style today, and I guess uh, it's one of the few cars that you can still get with a manual transmission in it. It is, and you know, and that's kind of the appeal. Um, now I think they've kind of they've had a merger with Mercedes, so I think that the the engine comes from Mercedes, uh-huh. and a lot of the does as well. Um, but I think in those early years. Um, you know, it was mostly Aston. I know that, like, the navigation system was, like, a derivative of Volvo, I would say. Uh-huh. And, like, the key fobs, if you, like, looked at them underneath, they were Volvo key fobs, they said Aston on top. Uh-huh. Uh, Interesting. So I would say that might have been, the, you know, more the influence, but not so much Ford. But a spectacular car. And, you know, one of the things I love about those cars, they're such a tremendous value. You know, to be able to buy a DB9 in, like, the forty fifty thousand dollars $50,000 range, and Vantage is kind of trade, you know, in, in a similar uh, world, you know, mid forties, fifty grand. It's a lot of car. In fact, we have two of them at our auction. I think we have a uh, ten thousand mile um, green vantage convertible, and then I think we have you know like a thirty five, forty thousand mile black on black manual gearbox vantage. So you know, a couple of interesting cars. So what's the hoping- what's the schedule for the auction then? So for our listeners, if they want to kind of drive down and take a look at it. So we start checking tomorrow. We'll be checking cars in tomorrow and Thursday. We hope that by 3 o'clock we have everything lined up. So from 3 to 5 on Thursday, you can come preview what's there. Um, I mean, you're more than welcome to come out, you know, even on Thursday during the day because we will be loading cars. Uh-huh. Uh, you can also preview Friday morning. We open at 9, uh, and the auction starts at, at noon. Uh, it's slated to start at noon, obviously, and probably goes to like 5, 30, 6 o'clock. Okay. And you have how many cars? Uh, we've got right around... 
I think a hundred. Okay. I haven't, you know, there's a collection that I need to add that Molly's working on that kind of came in last minute. Um, and it's interesting how it's always, Hey, can I get my car in the auction or is it too late? So we're kind of <laughs> scrambling to, fit in a, you know, four or five more. Um, okay. okay. But uh, I would a hundred and then also memorabilia. So a lot of signage, um, you know, a couple of vintage gas pumps, one done in like the Gulf livery, another one with Ferrari, um, Okay. Style and livery, a uh, lot of um, old. Um, I'm, I'm a loss of words, but uh, the vintage signs that are um, wow, enamel, the metal signs. So right. a lot of, and uh, we also have a, a lot of rock and roll posters that we're trying to put together this year. You know, we thought it'd be kind of a cool addition and would go well in in an effort to decorate a man cave or a garage excellent so, excellent so people can bid online as well right correct we're set up if you set up the bid if you bid online it's through proxy bid um if you want to register to bid and you're you're afar we'd say call us register to bid as a phone bidder um and that way we can get you on the phone and bid live for you uh it's three percent less expensive on the commission to do so and you're bidding live there's a bit of a delay sometimes um, on proxy bid and online. All right. How much does it cost to get into the auction if I want to view? Uh, if you want to view the cars, it's you know it's for free. Uh, to sign up to bid, I think is two fifty before the auction, three hundred day of auction, and I believe there are a limited number of spectator tickets that sell for a hundred dollars. Okay. And if people want to find out more about it, where do they go? Um, if you go to Naples Auto Motor or Naples org. Um, that that will link you to the page, or even SaratogaAutoAuction.org. It flips to our our Saratoga sale. Okay. So uh, online, I would say that's your that's your best bet. When's the Saratoga sale? So normally the Saratoga sale is the third to fourth week of September. Okay. So this year it was September twenty fourth and twenty fifth. Um, so we you know that was that was a great sale. We have a new venue, um, lots of space, really well done. So we're looking to expand on that. And then once that's over, you know, we wrap up and head south to Naples for the winter. Okay. Put this on. Now, we got about 20 seconds left. How about the Saratoga Museum? If people want to find out more about that, where do they get, where do they get so, information? So, saratogaautomuseum.org. Um, we have an amazing bond exhibit right now, Bond in Motion, which features essentially, I think, 15 of the cars in a variety of James Bond movies. So, for example, DB5. We have the DBS that rolled eight times to get it to look the way it did in uh, Casino Royale. Uh, the Z8, uh, the 7 Series, we have the Lotus Submarine. We have the XK Jaguar with, with the gun in the back. So it's an awesome exhibit. If, you know, if anybody loves cars and Bond, you can't miss it. And that uh, goes for a while. I think it goes through November of next year. So well worth a trip. Super. Well, Dan, I want to thank you for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Um, I wish you guys all the best of luck. If I can make it down there, I'll make it down there. And then, uh, you know, maybe we'll have you back in the fall, and we'll talk a little bit about the Saratoga event. And that would be I, awesome. I also want you to share some stories about the Jim Taylor collection, because I know you were involved in that, and so, and he had some pretty amazing cars, and I know Jim a little bit or knew him back, in, you know. And, uh, you know, so now he's, he's probably scaled it down to a little bit, but I'm sure he's got some really cool cars stashed. Yeah, I think he scaled it down to about 14, 15 cars. I mean, the majority of the cars went. And, you know, truly, it's hard to... He was one that had, I think, every car was registered and insured, and, and, and he drove. 
But I think it's hard to drive all that stuff. So I think he kind of picked his favorites. You know, he's held on to those. And I think, you know, the, the rest he passed on for somebody else to enjoy. Yeah. So well. it was an amazing collection, you know, amazing sale. Broad Arrow did a great job. Um, you know, it's it, w- it was a great event in New York in October of this year. So great Super. collection of cards. Well, Dan, thank you very much. My uh, special guest, Dan... Uh Pecky, um from the uh, Naples Motor Car Museum and or the Saratoga Motor Car Museum and the Naples Motor Car Auction, right? Got it. Okay, you take care, and I'll probably see you at Amelia. Sounds like a plan, Robert. Thank right. you so much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars again. Some great stories, a super guest, and uh, you know where to look, and some spectacular music. So hopefully we'll see you out there on the road. Some of your cool cars. Don't forget, there's a lot of driving to do. A lot of car shows, a lot of events, a lot of this, and the vintage truck show at the Sumter County. Uh, Fairgrounds is the 17th and 18th of next month. Vintage truck. Really cool vintage trucks. Be sure and be there. Check that out. And uh, you never know. We might have some ticket giveaways. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WDCF, Dade City. FM 102.3. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.